Welcome back to another stellar, out of this world, stupendous episode of the Film it. Alchemist podcast. Don't rain on this parade, sir. We'll get to that in a moment. Just, I, I mean, truly a tribute to the art of cinema. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Film Alchemist cinema. podcast, guys. The show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and really mean guy who won't give me rations. Oh, me? Alex Tandino. <laughs> All right, guys, before today's just, I mean, just a, a wonderful, wonderful. Just a real critique on, no. you know, Western. Nope. Nope, sorry, that sounds no serious. Theory. No, no film just, theory. My just bad. a fucking pixie stick down the gullet of joy. That's what we are, guys. It's official. The film alchemists have made their way to Patreon. That's right, Patreon.com/slash/filmalchemistpod. We assure you, it's the absolute best way to support us and the show. It's True. the absolute best way to get the show that you want and Tis. deserve, guys. For as little as a dollar a month. You can join the community, uh, get in with us, see what we're working on, meet our amazing community members uh, that we have already gathered. And as you climb the very official and scientific Highlander tier ranking system, you can select the movies you want to hear specifically in a Patreon exclusive library, which, by the way, has a limited time offer. Uh, only the next X amount of patrons are going to get uh, the on-demand episodes as it were and then we will be switching up the tiers a little bit to another exciting uh set of rewards right keep it fresh for everyone so guys get in now and let us know which movies you want can i just say we have fantastic patron exclusives like it yeah. is awesome the picks we're getting yes and we have uh, awesome ones to come too so stay tuned guys uh for those of you who support us thank you you know it means the world to us for those of you who are about to thank you as well Make sure you go to YouTube, uh, smash that subscribe button on the channel, Film Alchemist. You can see our faces over there. We're rolling out like right now. Whoville. I know we just got we got probably like the most hair in the game, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, and you can see that, right? You can see us twirl it up. You can see us uh, maybe sometimes accidentally eat a little bit, right? Do some witchcraft. That's neither here nor there. But yeah, Film Alchemist, make sure you subscribe because uh, we might have some cool new stuff coming there. As well, the email, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. We're on all the socials you're on. Uh, we're very easy to get a hold of, and we love to hear from you guys. Also, something we're free so cool. you can do that helps us out. Make sure you leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show. Jam the five stars. Uh, write a nice sentence or two about why you like us. Share us with your friends. Guys, help us defeat the algorithmic uh corporate boot military boot i guess for this movie yeah. it's keeping Franco, us down francoist boot yeah so keep so help us out guys <laughs> right uh you thought business was rough wait till we get to this fucking movie guys this month the pod digs del toro uh as many people do right we are not exclusive in our love of g di toro uh great great filmmaker today we're talking about what is probably his magnum opus, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. This is a movie, this was a really fun movie for me in my personal life, right? I went to see this one in the theater. It was a very memorable night. I remember exactly where I sat, what theater I was in, who I saw it with, um, because I watched a guy who had always kind of made movies I liked, right? 
but nothing that fully blew my hair back, right? Like, I like some of his shit. It wasn't mind-blowing to my younger self yet, right? I, I, I was with him. I had always hoped. When I saw Pan's Labyrinth, it was the classic hero's journey, man. It was, you know, Arthur pulling the sword from the stone. It was Goku going Super Saiyan. It was Neo stopping the bullets. This was Del Toro staking the flag and saying, I am right now making one of the best films you are ever likely to see. And you're here to witness it. And to this day, Pan's Labyrinth is a film, well, just soul-crushingly brutal. Uh, never loses one ounce of its magic or shine every time I watch it. Every time I watch it, I am transported and full of the love of cinema as much as I was on that very first time, which I think is about as rare of an achievement as any movie can make. Alex! Opening thoughts on Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, yeah. I mean, you said it best. Like, really what it is is it's Guillermo del Toro getting to do exactly what he wants. And, like, not only that, Guillermo del Toro making, yeah, truly probably his magnum opus, but also spending all his political, like, movie political capital in the right way. Like, this is after Hellboy. So, like, he's done Blade 2, which was a success, Hellboy, which was a success, and also, like, the odds stacked against him going in, like, you're going to make two, like, pretty popular comic book properties, like, pretty popular comic book movies, like, Hellboy didn't do as well, but in later years, it's done much better. You're going to leave those and do, you know, like, a hugely metaphoric, you know, surrealist sad sort of sad fantasy film that is not going to necessarily put asses in the seats isn't just this like big blockbuster thing but you're going to make something that while it's like huge in its scope and this beautiful uh beautiful effects beautiful animatronics beautiful everything really the story is so sublime that's the kind of movie you want to go out and make and everybody's thinking oh well it's just going to be this weird like effects thing. it's it's just it's strangely intimate. I think that's always the thing I come back to when I watch it. And I think I've seen it now. Like I, I've, I think I've seen it once a year. Like I, it's not yeah. even a movie that I try to watch. It's just a movie that like, Oh, I haven't seen pants lab in a while. And I like, and yeah. I realize it's been about a year, but like, it is like this strangely intimate movie because you know where it's, you know where it's coming from. And this is what Guillermo del Toro, del Toro does better than anybody. I think is, you know where it's coming from and you know it's coming from this place of just like unbridled passion for not just the story he's telling but just movies in general it's that is like the awe-inspiring thing about Guillermo del Toro it's why we're doing this month he is just an awe-inspiring person and Pan's Labyrinth is a cut above the rest as far as that goes in my it to me all of the things that I love most about his films right really metastasize in this film um you get this bad word, but yes, <laughs> perhaps uh, like Jello in the fridge. They they turn into a nice jiggly, a nice tasty lump, gelatinous. Right? That seems worse to me, right? So I went somber. That's my bad. I would uh, go Jello over metastasis. I'm not gonna lie, but I get what you're getting. Uh, agree to disagree, man. <laughs> <laughs> Magic's not real for us either, Alex. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there is the, this wonderfully rich love story right between a girl and her mother in the midst of a world that is doing 
everything it can to rip the human out of these people. That is the thing, again, that I think always shines in his best films, right? Is is as you see people making the choices to become monsters that ignore the basis of what makes us human, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's always some relationship at the core that keeps that fire burning, right? right? And as we see this girl walk through the world, right? Ophelia actually brings out that in several other characters, right? She is the Very spark so. that lights these other torches um, that lead to an explosive ending, right? And then you throw that into, again, it might be a bit on the nose, right? This actual storybook uh, diversion and escape from the whores that are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it reminds you, it could, it's hard to watch a movie like this where these things are occurring around this little girl. Um, the kind of things that, thank God, most of us can't even comprehend, right? We only see them on a screen from safety. And so it's just this absolute razor's edge that he he kind of dances on masterfully, right? Between when it's getting too fucking brutal, we go and examine some of the brutality and themes with a giant fucking burping frog, right? right. And it's it's what he does so well. And he just found this kind of amalgam of all of that in yeah. this movie. Totally. I think that that's what that's a good the burping frog, I think, is probably a great example of what Guillermo del Toro does best is like it is this like <laughs> element of whimsy yeah. inside like this huge layer of danger. And it's like and not just that. And especially in Pan's Labyrinth, it's the danger of not just this world, like this fantasy world. But then on top of that, the layer of the layer that lives above it is this the real world that is like factual, true terror. Like that is like something that we you can you can research you can look this up like it's a because I, I I was just I was fascinated it's this is the time I've watched it and like it's the first time I've actually been like I don't know where this fits in history like I know it takes place in Franco Spain and I had to really look up like what they it is. mentioned like, D Day in a newspaper article right yeah. like not not to say I don't know where it takes place in history is like is in like timeline wise but more oh I dude I'm the same I was like wait fighting in spain right and i, I just, had to go i don't i'm know, a bit of a dummy though i'm a bit right of a i don't know anything about what happened in spain during the 1940s so like i'm literally like reading the wikipedia and reading other things like oh wow this is like these guys are supposed to be these uh offshoots of fascism and i'm like okay well i mean you can kind of get that just because like it's the 40s and they're brutal so you assume everyone's like nazi adjacent if they're bad <laughs> which like you know yeah. isn't a bad thing but i also think and this is something i thought about when I was looking that up is that is what Guillermo del Toro is playing on too. And it's genius because what he doesn't have to do is explain who these people are. It just has to seem that way and be set in that era for you to go probably a Nazi. Like it's, it's the perfect way to not even like, Oh, it's the perfect way to not overly explain something, but also to not have to actually explain anything. We all are familiar yeah. with people in the military who are brutal in the forties. You're like, I think that's a Nazi probably like it's a yeah. perfect it's, you give it's it a, a whiff of World War Two, exactly. and then you honestly just watch this kind of war criminal running around and you're like yeah. I get it right mm -hmm. but I I because the movie starts again right Spain 44 military resistance got it and then we just see a picture of this little girl with the bloody yep. nose and so it's 
I, I always think the best moments in war movies, right, are not the big, like, storming of wherevers. No. Bring it in as tight as you can on the face of an innocent civilian, man, and see what that does to them, right? Again, this is a a dreaded image that I always forget that they start with that image, right? Ugh. But what we learn is, and then instead of going more into the military stuff, right, we do this. There once was a princess who dreamed of living in the human world. What a wonderful sentiment in this the is, time of war, right? When everything is, is dehumanized. Yeah. She wants to live amongst humans, right? She escapes. She forgets where she came from. Someday her soul will return. Mm-hmm. And again, in doing that storybook, running away and telling us this fictionalized tale, right? That we again see as a fictionalized tale within a fictionalized tale. Um, <laughs> we see the entire story of this film, right? A girl who wants to live among humans. She's not. She is forgetting who she is and she needs to come back, right? The mom is pregnant and very sick. She mm-hmm. finds a statue. We instantly see a bug. There is this, right? These massive real world consequences mixed with a magical statue and bug. And so right away, we're setting the tone that magic and reality, while very separate, live in the exact same space. Which I think is what makes this, that's what heightened, the tension is heightened almost immediately. Before the movie, before we've even gotten into the plot, the tension is heightened already because we realize there's there's a conflict between fantasy and the real world. Not even like Mm. a conflict that we already know exists because we live in the real world, but more to the point like, the concept of like the whimsy and the wonder of the beyond is in direct conflict with what's about to come down the pipeline, which is war and people hiding out from war and all the complications that come from being in this situation. And then like you like get into it with Ophelia and her mother and you're like, man, there is so much for this like little girl. I think that's always the thing is like, there's so much for Ophelia to like put on her plate as a child. And you're like, I, that is the thing that I think most adults relate to is yeah. having to be the person you are and you like funnel all this insecurity into this like 11 year old girl hey. every time, man, every it's, time it's it gets even me. more primal than that in a way. Like we spent the time before we recorded today watching and laughing at me from 20 years ago in a short student film. Right. And Which you look back and you're like, look at that fucking child, right? And so I think at a base level, we're all trained that when we see children in movies, especially children that are very imaginative and this and that, or weird or unique, uh, very much unlike in real life, when we see them in movies, we want to protect them a lot, right? right? And so watching the dynamic between Ophelia and her mother in this film is a really interesting series of choices, right? Because mm-hmm. as we're going out and she's, not doing well with her pregnancy, right? Her body's no, failing. She's Ophelia's like, father's dead. Yeah. And in this moment, she takes the time to say, Ophelia, aren't you a little too old to be filling your head with this nonsense? And we're sitting there looking around. And if you've seen the movie, this line hits extra hard, right? Because you know it's coming. You're like, in this world, what else should a child be doing but burying themselves in these books of exactly. fantasy? And again, the, this is one of those kind of fairy tales um, 
or fables that is a little more to the old style where there's real scary consequences and monsters around the terms. Mm-hmm. But still, why wouldn't you fucking do this, right? right? The girl, and this is one of the shots where it's like, this fucking guy, man, nails it, right? The introduction to the captain in this movie is perfect. Because yeah. not only does he get out and he's all fucking spit-shined and he smiles at her, but like, take the seat. I can walk. Do it for me, right? And there's just a little bit of like, oh, okay. He's kind of taking control of her body. That's gross. When Ophelia gets out, she can't shake his hand because she's holding her fantasy books. She holds up the wrong hand, and he fucking snatches it. Like he's going to break her hand, and he goes, that's the wrong hand. Yeah. And fucking chucks her hand aside. And you're like, oh, fuck this guy for the whole movie. Like, this fucking rat bastard. And you don't need to know anything about his politics, about anything that goes on in his life. Any of the other horrible things, by the way, that he does in this movie. You just need to see that one thing. And that's all you need to know. He sees that girl and his reaction is predator. And she, in one hand, she's literally holding fantasy. And in the other hand, the hard fucking crushing glove grip of a military war criminal pressing down. Not many images in movies do that much work. And it's, it's wonderful. Not much, not much opening 15 does that much work with telling you, like, pitting every piece on the board yes. properly and getting yeah. you primed for the story that's ahead. It's, yeah. Again, right, it's so let's, let's, let's focus in, right? There's a lot in this movie. I want to talk a little bit about Ophelia and her mom right up front. Okay. Because, again, this is the, the, the journey that is at the core of this film to me. Right. What do you make of... There are obviously two people that see the world in a very different way, right? They've both suffered the same tragedy and the loss of father, mm-hmm. but are reacting very differently, not just with age, but just kind of worlds colliding in mindset. What what did you take away this viewing about their dynamic? I mean, for me, it's it's interesting. I actually think that I don't know. This time I almost feel like Ophelia addresses the real world a little bit better than her mother in a lot of ways. It's this it's it's hard to explain, but for me Ophelia is already such a protector. Like there's so much already there's so much of this protect like not only of her unborn uh not her unborn sibling but of her mother herself. They're in a you know, stranger in a strange land, a new place. This viewing I did notice like the mother doesn't necessarily live in a fantasy world, but she's fading so fast and so quickly. Like it's almost like it doesn't even matter. Like she becomes this, she becomes this skeleton of her former self anyways. And Ophelia already feels like she's out on her own. So, so much of that relationship is put so much of that relationship is so important, but Mm. also is so superficially important to what I think ends up being Ophelia's major arc, which is that she, has to take on these mantles of responsibility herself, not necessarily for the sake of her family, but for the sake of her own sanity in a lot of ways. I I kind of love the idea that Del Toro went so combative with this relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just in a very real way, right? Because to your point, this is a, a mom who's fading fast, and I think she's dealing with the massive crushing weight of, I'm going to leave this girl. Yeah in this world alone that not just alone, but with this guy now see this is the fucking core of this which makes it hard for me as an adult now because i can't help 
but feel slightly hardened towards the mother's plight. Right? There's a line in the film when she says uh, to Ophelia, right? When Ophelia's like, why did you have to get married again, right? And we get the very specific insinuation, why'd you have to marry this fucking cock? And you're like, great question. I'd like to know that too, Mel. (laughs) Hmm. And and she just says this line that I think all of us um, can absolutely sympathize with. Uh, I've just been alone too long. And as you get older, you'll understand, right? And then she says, it wasn't easy for me either. Right. Perfect. I totally get it. Her insistence on, hey, call the captain father. I want you to look pretty for the captain. It's it's an understandable choice that she has made. And there's even this weird subplot that I've always questioned in the movie that they somewhat hint at that the captain may have known her father and come to kill his ass so that his wife would be available. Oh, yeah. I always assumed it was like this Sweeney Toad kind of thing, you know? That's what I... Because at first I thought it was just like, a, oh, that's like... A really fucking I've sad me I always cute. thought that was the bit. But you're like, oh, okay. Because, like, oh, he just started coming I've back always, after your I've husband I've always died? thought All that right. was the bit because Ophelia, because the way Ophelia pits herself against him from the jump. Not yeah. just because, like, Well, it's I not think even it's, like, you know, the war killed my father is what we hear, and he represents the war. But there is these weird lines, right. like, when she's telling the story and he gets, like, he recoils from her. And he's mm-hmm. like, my dumb wife thinks this shit is interesting at dinner party. I'm like, all right fucking fancy pants like i don't know what great stories you're bringing to the fold all you seem to do is be talking shop you fucking asshole but anyways her the the mom has made this choice is that Mm -hmm. she would rather give her child up to this oppressive military man who might have fucking hurt their husband right um because she might not be there and so then it's this psychology of do you think this is because the mother's like, Ophelia needs to be with this man to protect my son in case I don't make it. Or, you know what? At least she should be safe because he's the one putting the boot on others. It's it's this weird tightrope of her motivation yeah, to me. I that, feel like, to be honest with you, like the way you've described it, to me, it's straight down the middle, honestly. like It's want, hard, man. And not that like child- you can't you can't put yourself in her struggle. But it, sure. it, it's hard because you want to just embrace this mom who's in this terrible situation. Like you and I, it's both hard, had, man. You and I have both had experiences in our married lives where it's like, I'm like, you've had to have that conversation with yourself about like, oh, wow, this might be like, uh, how do I, you know, providing for my family, that kind of thing. I remember yeah. when like when, when Andrea gave birth, we had a very scary, uh, we had a very scary like birth scenario. Like he was like, Henry was uh, premature that kind of stuff. And I had to do this sort of thing where I had to go through like three horrifying scenarios really fast. And one of them was like, what if my wife is gone and I have to take care of this kid? Yeah. Like, how do I, how do I do? And so like, like, and that's like a horrible thing that you have to like, like it's one of those things you have to address though. And scary things like that sometimes happen. But like for me, yeah, dude, did I ever tell you mine? (laughs) So I had two really bad ones. So, when, right before Hunter was born, I, I wasn't sleeping, right? Because I was like, what right. if it pops off? I got to be ready. Right, right. And I turned oh, I on TV, and I was like, oh, shit, Jersey Girl's on. I need a laugh. Oof. Just, like, brushed over me that the start of that movie is, like, J-Lo dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, 
oh my god women can die in childbirth like it's just one of those things that like you yeah. put so far from your eyes like oh fuck and then when logan was born i i left all my shit by the front door i had just gone to the bookstore that day and i was like all right, I'll leave a book there because I'm going to have a lot of time in the hospital. As I ran out in the dark, I just grabbed the top book and it was Pet Cemetery. <laughs> so oh, I'm reading God. Pet Cemetery in the room waiting for my son to be born. I'm like, there is some kind of like horrible, like, you know, I'm just like fucking whipping myself mentally <laughs> yeah, for being a, a self-flagellation. Dude, but I mean, so again, like you said, right, yours was a lot scarier than mine. Mine were very self-inflicted. But it's what what do you make of this? position that the mom finds herself in because she is protective of ophelia to the captain sure like to me it's this she's like we were saying it's this tightrope like Mm -hmm. you want your you want your child to be provided for so you make a deal with the devil so to speak and you go with this Ah, guy who probably is not a super great dude (laughs) but you want to know the real question i had watching it this time is I was like, I would give anything. Be like, Guillermo, I don't know what you drink, right? Are you are you a lager man, right? Do you like espresso? Like, what do you want to drink, right? Do you want to drink fucking like goat milk? Like, I'll import it from wherever you want, right? What do you want? You want to drink like crushed up caterpillars? I don't know what your thing is. You seem like an interesting guy. Right. I need 10 minutes of your time. And he goes, all right, Joshua, like, let's talk. And I'm like, cool. Joshua. The only secret I want to know from your vast knowledge of all things cinema Walk me through in your mind. Write a scene for me, Guillermo. And he goes, yes, yes. And I go, write a scene for me. That is, how does the captain fuck? (laughs) I was watching this movie. I can't fathom how that guy fucks to make a child, right? Right. This guy, all we ever see this guy doing is going through these robot-like fucking machinations of his day-to-day. I want to see how this guy fucks real bad. Am I the only one? Am I the only one? <laughs> if I someday I become very successful, I'm hitting Del Toro up for that fucking scene. Write me a scene. It's fair. <laughs> it's weird, but fair. You don't want to know like a little. Well, here's the thing. Like, it's either one who's like, whip me and I'll call you daddy. Is like you fucking pull my dick under my cheeks and like yank it real hard. Like I don't know. Like is he that guy? Here's this is here's the thing. I don't wonder because <laughs> I just assume this is I'm assuming it's aggressive and very short. That's always my assumption when it comes to guys like this. It it feels that way where I he's like he's watching the broken him, watch. <laughs> I do not imagine him being like a super cool Lothario. Like for me, I would imagine like yeah. He takes uh he takes the um the knife she gets from the fawn and like he's he's one of those guys who, like yeah. holds it to your neck while you yeah. while you do it while he like does a 30 oh, second yeah. two pump chump thing. That's like how he does it. Like he has to hold a gun to his head or something like that. Yeah, like he's in mortal danger. Yeah. And he's like, like I'm he, a real soldier, daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Like and he's he like, like- <laughs> he, He's like Richie April, like he's holding a gun Aww. to his head, like doing the whole. Thing. Or he like, yeah, he's like fucking pin my medals to my actual tit. Yeah. I don't know. Pin okay, we medals. got we got pin really my medals off. to my bow sack. Oh, oh, oh tell oh. me I'm a soldier, daddy. Tell me I'm a soldier, and then he like sits on a grenade. I don't know. We're this is so far off the point of this. This is why Del Toro's the one I want to write the scene, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's let's bring this back in. Yeah. 
I think the mother and Ophelia's journey is most wonderfully encapsulated in the dress. Yes. Uh, she just Ooh, wants yeah, her great books. Great visual in a, cue. Yeah. And the mother is like, do you know what I would have done as a little girl to get this dress? Um, do you know what I had to put to the captain's a noose to fucking get you to this house? The, never mind. Again, we're writing a different movie. Um, what do you... Because I feel like this is where their exact opposite forces really meet, right? And Ophelia going out into the mud. There's that great shot before she goes down to see the uh, the fucking toad, right? She sees her shoes are covered in mud. Mm-hmm. She knows to turn fucking back. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what the dress meant to you this time. Oh, man, it's the... Uh, I mean, it means the same thing to me every time. For me, it's this... It's the oh, fuck. I just lost what I was gonna say. In my oh, it. I mean, it's it's the visual cue for the. It's that. Uh, damn it! I just lost it. Oh, I had You're this too busy great, thinking about the captain getting God, all damn it. You have like the you get me like, the, like this torqued captain just beating cheeks is just no. Um, do you think he me, wears those really douchey small sunglasses during it? <laughs> Neither here nor there. Talk to me I more think, about the. Dress. I think he wears his hat backwards. No. Um. For me, it's uh, the dress is like the it's the last step. It's that step you take into fantasy before you because like those shoes being muddy. That is always to me the visual cue. She's like something is different here. Like things are about to change. So like for me, the dress is always the temptation to not the temptation to basically to decide to shoulder the responsibility that your mother shouldered like so for Mm. carmen to for carmen to take on this responsibility of like protecting her family by getting with someone who more than likely killed her actual husband and also is like kind of a shitbag person altogether but provides quite a bit of stability and safety for safety net for her children in that same way ophelia looks at her muddy shoes and the dress and it's the same thing it's like yeah do i take that sacrifice do i try to find another way to sacrifice like do i try to find another way to shoulder this responsibility like and it's not even like this because in every regard like every like of the th- in the three tasks you know like this one the pale man and then obviously the one that the last one but either way the she always kind of fucks up in these tasks. Like it is like shouldering this responsibility of an adult while also still keeping the precociousness of a child in a lot of ways. It's, it's very, again, like it's a very hard tightrope to walk, but for me, it's Ophelia addressing, it's Ophelia addressing in her own way. What is, what is beyond might be the thing that can save her family though, I guess. Yeah. A very messy way to put it. The muddy, the mud on the shoes is wonderful, right? Cause it Mm -hmm. is, the real world encroaching on fantasy, right? Yeah. The dress and the shoes are the fantasy, right? When she's like, I want you totally. to look good for the captain. And the captain sees her out just fucking drinking that straight from the teat juice, right? With the the stuff floating in it. And I was like, maybe maybe a cup. Like, you know, Strainer I don't know. Of what... some kind, anything? Yeah. Do you like pulp? <laughs> are you a pulp guy? Not me. I was like, I said milk and honey, not milk and good Lord. How long has that mud been caked on that teat? Good Lord. Uh <laughs> But, you know, the captain sees her and doesn't acknowledge her. 
And so I love the fuck you-ness of it, right? Because when they go to the bathtub and she's like, I, I wonder if you'll ever stop messing up, Ophelia. You've mm-hmm. disappointed me, right? You disappointed the your father, right? And he, she turns around. She's like, are you talking about the captain? And the mom's like, ugh. And Ophelia sits back in that bubble bath and fucking smiles like it's a problem child movie. Yeah. She's yeah. fucking glad. Again, he – to stick this it to like, him. This is that fucking like childhood whimsy thing that Guillermo del Toro just nails. Yeah. Like we saw it in Kronos too. Like it's the same vibe. It's the same thing. And he does such a good job of not making things. Things are serious. Things are, things are, things are filled with stakes, but there's plenty of time for at least like a hint of whimsy and a hint of like, not even whimsy, but like childlike, yeah. childlike impishness almost. It's, yeah, and and Ophelia is the only man. place we get that because everything well, outside of this else. is crushing, right? We mm-hmm. like, for example, right? We we see you know the captain and his you know fucking routine. He's getting ready, right? Walking around in his uh, shirt that he definitely would have referred to as a wife beater. I'm sure. Um, no doubt, no doubt. You know, doing his shit, right? Right. And there is this horrifying scene where we see him fully unveiled, right? When he goes out and these guys are like, we caught these fuckers in the forest, right? They say they're farmers, but we don't, whatever. And they're like, you know, hey, man, we're just out rabbit hunting, right? We're trying to find food. My daughters and wife are sick, right? Mm -hmm. And just because before he finishes the search of what is a very small satchel, very small, not very full satchel, right? The guy says, hey, if my father says that's what we're doing, he's telling the truth. And instead of finishing the search to see if that's true or not, the captain is like, you have fucking challenged me. He takes the bottle of wine and with the fucking circular bottom of it, caves this motherfucker's face in. So nonchalantly, so unemotionally, he's like the Terminator and just crushes this guy's face with what seems like 10 to 20 blows. While the father is just, unable to even process how horrifying this is right right as he does he turns and shoots this guy he pulls out the rabbits right which we find out later are too young to even fucking cook properly and he just looks to his man and says maybe you'll learn to search these assholes better doesn't care isn't upset at what he did because what he did was for those fucking men right that he is willing to destroy these people and by proxy, we know there's a wife and sick daughter somewhere that aren't going to eat or have their family members back. Right. It is as gruesome an unveiling of a bad guy as I can remember, right? There's a lot of gruesome, like, the bad guys here. The casual nature with which this man operates. It's pretty horrifying. I mean, the captain is, like, the MVP actor of this movie. Um they always say that cliche, right? The best movies have the best bad guys. But it's not just this, because this qualifies for sure. Yeah. It's the quality of it's the quality of viciousness that he has. And like that is the that is the priming like literally and this guy does unspeakable things in this movie. That is so fucking disturbing. I that is the that is the one part of this movie where I like I've I rarely like look, we've watched a lot of fucked up movies and then this pod I rarely close my eyes. I still have trouble watching that. Just like that, that scene is it's just brutality. It, it's it. fucking truly horrifying. Well, there's some things that you're watching some movies, right? 
like when you're watching Human Centipede, it's like it's not that cringy, right? Like it's people fucking sewn to other buttholes, right? right. There's a level of built-in absurdity in comedy that pulls you back. Yeah. Well, you're just that, like that is the right. movie, right? For those of us that have seen like a truly brutal act of violence up close and personal, right? Like I used to be a bouncer and shit, so I've seen a lot of fights and like the horrifying consequences of physical. I think a lot of people think that fights are like they live where you just throw in punches for like 10 minutes and everyone's cool. You get a little, you know, oh, my face puffy. I mean, people can die from a punch, right? Like real actual violence is fucking scary when you see it up close. Right. This is one of those moments where, oh, they nailed that. Like really to the core scares the shit out of you. It made me want to throw up, man. Um. But the captain, what I love about him, too, he's a classic movie bad guy. He's cold, calculating, evil at his fucking core, right? He is this, as the the doctor says later, right, um, when he tells the doctor, you could have just done what I said, and he said, only men like you can do that, right? There's a certain speaking of his character. What did you glean from this guy's, relationship to his own father and his unborn son that he assumes is a son he doesn't even know when the doctor says how do you know it's a son don't fuck with me his what do his, you make of this his dynamic own father yeah i mean the the thing he won't acknowledge that the father had the watch which we've seen he becomes a soldier just like his father who was a general not a captain right maybe that's eating him up uh, we learned that he didn't come to this post on his own accord. What do you make of this guy, the 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 father-son dynamics of him? Give him this extra depth that I think a like, lot of militant bad guys don't get in movies. To me, I think it has a lot to to me, I think it has a lot to do with loyalty. And that's a weird thing to say, I guess. But this is how I'd put it. Like like for instance, his reaction when um, the doctor, for instance, when he discovers the doctor's one of the rebels, it is this like it's not even like it's pretty it's, it's pretty obvious. Like we kind of know what's going to happen, you know. Like the eventually, like you can't go through this entire movie and that not being the case. But to me, once like it being a son obviously has a lot of connotations um culturally because you know i'm from an italian family my wife's guatemalan like men are you know male heirs are very important in a lot of and especially in the 40s still is a very important thing but i think it has to do with trust and loyalty because the only people you can really trust and i think that's like the level of paranoia it takes to be this vicious a person because we talk about this on the pod, like great villains are people who think they're right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that Captain Vidal knows he's not right. Like, I don't know what it is, but like, you know what? Me- I think he does think he's right. When I, he does the whole, I'm here because these people think that we are but, equals. We won the war. But here's right? the thing. I think he's okay. But, I think he's okay. I'm not saying he doesn't think he's okay. I see what you're saying, saying, right? He doesn't see them as people he can do a crime to. That's they're not exactly. I think yes, it's not that he doesn't think he's wrong. It's that he doesn't care enough to. He doesn't care enough to like equate the two. Like Mm -hmm. to be wrong or right isn't a thing. It's either. It's not a matter of being wrong or right in the traditional sense that you and I would say. It's simply like, I have power. Why would I be wrong? Like. 
absolute power corrupts absolutely. So, of course, if he's powerful, why would he be wrong? Yeah. There's no point in time where he would be wrong. So, like, for me, it's a matter – It's a, like, the father-son relationship is important because it's a matter of loyalty. Like, that is your blood. That is your – that is – that yeah. is what you've made. Like, of course, they will like follow you into bell. You know, you're a dad for the boys. I'm a dad to a boy. Like, you. It's hard to describe. Like, I we've been doing a lot of therapy with our. We've been doing a lot of therapy with Henry because he's speech delayed, and like, they, they always tell me because I have a very like look. I have a lot of I have a lot of patience to work on. Like, I'm just it's hard for me sometimes to deal with a screaming kid, but they tell me all the time. They're like, listen, you are like the hero. So your reaction to things is the thing he's mimicking. Like you yeah. have to be the person you have to be the person. That, if you want him to be the person that you want to be, that you want him to be, you need to be that person too. And I think that yeah. watching this movie, it, that is where, that is where Captain Vidal lives is the person he wants to be is his father. And the person he wants a son, yeah. the person he wants a son to be is he wants him to be him. It's not even a matter of looking up to you, admiring you. This is about it. Respect. That's and what I, it's about. I think he fucking hated his father, right? He I disavows so too, you, the watch but thing, res- but he respected him. He respects the brutality. He respects the kind of man it's he was. Poss- it's very different. I think he respects it's begrudging that, respect. Right, because there's that great scene when he's looking in the mirror and he does the throat slice. I think mm-hmm. that is he looks like his father and he's like fuck you. Yeah. Um cuz again that's one of those acts of he's pushing it outwards not to his own throat, right? Right. I I think there is a he hates that he wished his father was around and would care. It's a But instead his father only cared for Spain and the war and now other people have this, you know, he's a hero to us and he feels like it was taken from him, right? right? So he's doing his best facsimile. Right. And he's like, through stone cold at official efficiency and brutality, I will surpass him. Right. And there is this weird, like, he seemingly is using somewhat kid gloves with the mom because she's sure. carrying the baby. Yeah, it's, he has to. And he even has that line, right? If you have to choose between her or the baby, save my son, right? So it's a vessel. she's a vessel. She's not a person. She yeah. is a vessel carrying this person. My question would have been right in his mind. If he had won and crushed the, you know, the wood watchers, what does that kid's life look like on his 10th birthday? Right. And there is this weird, like, cause he, he says that when he runs into battle, right? This is the only decent way to die. I think some part of him wanted to leave his son behind right at the end. When he hands it over, he's like, tell my son, uh, you know, about, and they're like, no, fuck you. Your son will never know your name. What a great fucking awesome, too. awesome beat. Cause fuck that guy. That is as cathartic a murder in a movie ever, especially after what we just saw him fucking do to Ophelia yes. or jumping ahead. But there is this really strange, he's obviously become this most monstrous version of his father, mm-hmm. but it seems like he thinks he can fix it with his own son. But I sure. think we know he won't, well, but I, I think but even that's... just adding that, Right, him lying about the watch, him having that extra beat gives him a little more, right? right? Wasn't that always the folly of hubris, like of being a parent, is you think that you can fix <laughs> what you fucked up yeah. with your kid. And that's just not Hey. I'll not, tell you this as a that's not humanity, as a kid man. whose father willingly chose to abandon them. All the time I have the nightmare that I come to my own home and I knock on the door 
And my wife, who's not my wife anymore, answers the door. She's like, what do you want? You fucking piece of shit, bum, whatever. Get out of here. And I go, hey, it's me. Like, I'm here. And she goes, nope. And I look over her shoulder. And in the living room of my house, there's another guy, a better looking guy, a guy who actually has cheekbones and is wearing like a Gordon Gecko suit with perfect hair. Right. Uh, you know, abs that you can see through his mm-hmm. fucking button up. Right. right. Like and he's Christian rolling Bale. around. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yes, exactly. But hopefully not as moiterous. Uh, but he's rolling around on the floor playing with my boys. Mm-hmm. And Amy just slowly shuts the fucking door in my face. This is a recurring nightmare I have. Like when I was little, I used to have the dream that I needed to run away. But like no matter how fast I ran, I couldn't get any speed. Right. This is the grown up version of that. Right. Please let me into my house with my own children. And they're like, no, you're gone. You don't matter to them. Right. Um, I think that extra layer Again, it's in no way, shape, or form an excuse for what he does, but it adds a an extra layer of we see what yeah, he, it, well, how he has become this monster. It adds the level of sympathy you need to care, mm-hmm. and then yes, to be excited when he's and again executed. Why does he kill that fucker with the bottle? Because it's a son lovingly protecting his father. It's beautiful, man. This is. movie is just so full of wonderful stuff like that. All right. It's true. We've talked a long time, right? Talked um, a lot about the real world. We have yeah. barely talked about. And that the shit with the rebels and this and that is the thinnest part, right? Mercedes is a wonderful character. The doctor are wonderful, right? When he has to go mm-hmm. up and cut the fucking leg off and you see them making like the one scene with Mercedes that is heartbreaking is when she tells her lover, you know, I'm a coward. I serve that man as breakfast, but and it's like, no, you are brave and strong and look hey. at what she's doing and going through and imagine having to serve that fucking man and she can still care for Ophelia while all this is going on. Right. So that scene is devastating. Mercedes and the doctor are wonderful characters. Right. Yes. The The plot with the rebels is just not as interesting as the rest of it. Right. That's kind of well, like how we move this thing forward. Right. Well, I think that's like it's the real. Yeah. It's the real world movement of the story. It's yeah. not what we're focused on, like at all. Yeah. If that's what you're okay, if if you've globbed onto the rebel storyline of Pan's Labyrinth, <laughs> I yeah. I don't know. You should just maybe turn it off. Like the I don't same know guys gonna... that are like, I want a Disney Plus series called Porkins. This is like, <laughs> I want to know about Porkins. This is like my dad who gets upset. He doesn't like watching Inglorious Bastards, and I'm like, why? It's great. Yeah. And he goes, it's factually inaccurate. And I'm like, yeah. I can't talk to you anymore. I love you, Dad, yeah. but God you damn don't, it, you don't say, Pat. <laughs> fucking Hitler didn't die in a fire seeing fucking uh, yeah. Easy Rider. Is that true? Is it. that running an old Papa Dandino? Just know he's a stickler ancient for aliens the has a different take, Pat. I hate to No, I'm just kidding. He's, but... a, he's a stickler for the World War II. Dude, <laughs> but how about this? Uh... <laughs> just called my so, dad out. Just fucking throwing fucking ancient alien bombs at Pat. Hey, Pat, fuck <laughs> you. Hey, Pat, break your watch. You remember the moment you got killed on a podcast, fool. <laughs> No, <laughs> but uh, Mercedes does have a wonderful beat, though, right? When the lock is not broken, right? As they've derailed a train and they go back and rob the supply room. The lock mm-hmm. is unforced, right? They find out it's Mercedes, right? It's gut-wrenching that we know she's going to get caught. She tries to escape with Ophelia. She's caught. She's going to get tortured. When she stabs that motherfucker... It's wonderful. And she's like, that's why I got you is because you thought I was nothing. You thought I was weak. Don't you dare talk down to me. And you're like, yeah. 
and she fucking Joker smiles him. Like, yeah. And then in my mind, I just go, fuck. You said you knew how to get a pig. Why? Why? Fucking finish the job. I wanted her to come out of there like Carrie from prom. Yeah, I thought we were going to I thought we were going to get like a Johnny Depp and Sleepy Hollow moment where it just walks out and you're like, whoa. I mean, I guess down. you would say had she done that, but she couldn't again, have fled. Not quite that movie. I get it. Then we wouldn't Dude. have gotten that fucking badass scene at the end. But and him it. drinking the whiskey with his, uh, uh, his fucking mouth. So good. All right. Mercedes and the doctor. When they killed the doctor, yeah. it was horrible. Gut-wrenching. RIP, man. Only men like you can Great follow. scene, by the way. I do love he's, that. that, when, that he, scene when he kills the stutterer, right? Because, oh, my God, when he's like, count to three and I'll let you go. Never misses a chance to be horrible, right? And the doctor releasing him is... That's the other mounting tension, too, is, like, it's this sweet mercy of him euthanizing this guy with Vidal, like... He knows he's dead. He knows he's done as soon as he makes that choice. But that's what he does, man. He helps people. Um, It's beautiful. All right. Again, we've talked a lot about this movie. We haven't talked about... The main dish, the main attraction of this film, this wonderful fairy tale that is unfurling. Do you think the reason the is because world. it's so obvious? What is? I mean, obviously, like, do you think, here's the thing. We talk, like, we can talk about it, which obviously we will. We do. A are you saying it's movies. because we are entrenched scholars, so we are jaw- drawn like the jaw shark to more Not intellectually deep waters? Well, granted, we are basically like a couple of Pat Dandinos watching a World War II doc, but <laughs> my dad listens to the pot, so this is like all this is like all the does he, I need. He does. does. He... Swear to God, I will get a call. Paul Dandino. Paul Dandino's going to hear himself getting drive-bied on a horse as we're just cackling at his World War II hobbies. I no, want to but... know, Paul Dandino, send the show a nice uh, message. When does the World War II thing start with dads, right? At what age do you choose Civil War or World War II? And that just becomes like a thing you do on the weekend. What age is that? Because I want to, I don't know. Maybe I'll choose like the Star Wars. I guess maybe our generation will do that. Because we're we're giant giant children people. Yeah. All right. Well, so, but, okay. But what I'm getting at is, do you think the reason we (laughs) haven't, do you think the reason, because like, look, we are deep into this pot at this point. Do you think the reason we haven't addressed the stuff that we love so much about this movie, which, you know, is obviously the fantasy element, the law, the fawn, the pale man, uh, mandrake root stuff, like all this, like great, all this great iconography. Do you think the reason is because it's something that is so primordial to how you and I watch movies? It's not even that we don't want to talk about it. It's that when we talk about it, will it lose its magic almost? Is it us trying to find magic in the real world itself? Wow, man. Look at you. Well, you know. Look at you. Da 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 da. Tenure, 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 tenure. <laughs> All right. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my uh, god. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, man. I mean, in a way, that was good. When you name something, good. it loses a bit of its magic, man. But that was really good. I think there is something, right? Like I like the, the the toad is the wart on the the body pan's labyrinth it's the least interesting bit Mm -hmm. uh but again it's this you know she has that great line right you just sit down here getting fat while the tree withers and dies around you it's like hmm could that possibly be the fascist 
fucking choking Mother Spain at the roots. You're like, all right, I'm down with that. Finds a key. For right? sure. Gets the chalk door, right? And she goes down. Okay, there is a weird part of the fantasy of this book, movie, right? So the book is her guide through this fantasy world, right? It leads her to the tree. It leads her to the mission with uh, the fucking guy who has the scrotum arms. Right. The pale man. The pale man. Which, again, right. it's Doug Jones, man. He's amazing. Doug Jones. He, God, so good in this movie. Um, Ball State. Ball State represent Chirp Chirp, motherfucker. The only school that would possibly give one of us tenure uh, to go back to the other two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Call back. Call back. No. Um, why does the book show her the, the blood of her mother? I thought that was a really weird decision this time around because really? it, it's bringing automatically into focus the world that is real and not part of this fantasy quest um and alerts her earlier it should have i mean it could have sent her on an adventure and maybe she's out of the house the mom passed away and she's freed up to do her journey why show all the blood you mean why why does the story show why does the, the book show her the blood right because most of the rest of it is about her quest into the fantasy realm i assume for me that it is to it is to address the fantasy of the story itself like not everything can like stories that have an absurd amount of fantasy in them even stories like peter pan which is about literally people who fl like a boy who never wants to grow up that flies to another place so he doesn't have to. Like, no matter what, these stories have to be based somewhere in the real world, somewhere in real tragedy, somewhere in real time. We have to have some sort of there is some sort of sacrifice, but also like to make them fantasy, to make mm -hmm. these things work. There has to be the escape element. And like to me, it's not only an escape element, but also addressing what has to what has to happen it's almost like it's it's that you know what's going to happen like ophelia knows she's sick there's no way she there's no way it can't happen but it's a, almost like it's not even softening the blow it's almost like address it's addressing the real world to a child yeah. it's it's like having to sit your kid down and explain to them death like it's a yeah. whole thing yeah, you want to know a really uncomfortable and horrible way to get that out early buy your kids fish uh neither here nor there um, no, I think there is a, cause as the movie unfurls and at the end we actually see, I mean, I guess you could debate, right? Uh, we see when the Capitan chases her down through the maze, right? And he mm -hmm. comes around the corner, the fawn isn't there, right? And so I guess as a viewer, you still have the out that, well, of course he can't see it. That's a man who has not had magic or whimsy for a long time, right? But to me, I read it as there is no fucking story right this is ophelia being caught oh, playing yeah. her game and nothing's there i assume that i assume that she, there, i assume that none of this is real like to right. be honest well with the you, fact like, that she cliffhangers her way up from scrotum arms right mitch mcconnell's office down there and just fucking hoist herself up right you're like all right like there there's always whimsy right but in these moments course. right there's a lot of a visual right but guillermo del toro always blurs that line so much that you're not quite sure and then there is this element of like <laughs> here's the beat that i love though in the fucking uh mitch mcconnell's office i love that he <laughs> this fucking you know scrotum arms is sitting there he's like i had to sit here and chill right at my feast he's like hey man could we hire some painters to like 
paint some awesome pictures of me, me eating just, children. <laughs> yeah, can we uh, paint some pictures of me yeah. just housing children? Great. It'd be the you. equivalent of in the real world, some fucking child molester just shows up at like a van shop. He's like, hey, can you just put like diddler on the side of my van and like big about? bright letters? This isn't the real world. It's literally that's why no one goes to Mitch McConnell's office. That is exactly <laughs> what. Politics. Obstructionism, am I right? What a bitch. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying his face area looks like Talk the nutsack. Talk about infrastructure. Yeah. Yes, he does. Tenure, tenure. No, that's uh, <laughs> we're just we're just we're just men of the mind. We're men of the mind. That's the problem. We're pretty scholarly today. Yeah, super fucking smart, bro. But no, uh, I just like the idea. It reminded me of in Child's Play when we get to go to Charles Lee Ray's house. And he has that picture of himself, and he's like, hey, can you just give me, like, a to-the-knee dong? And they're like, yeah, of course. Like, that's probably a realistic example of what your body looks like. You know, just ripped muscles and a fucking hammer to the knee. Right. Because that's a thing that people get to have in this life. I thought it was funny that he's like, hey, you know, just in case a child happens to wander in here and like fruit, um, if you could paint a picture that would horrify them out of the room as fast as possible. I just thought that shit was hilarious. Um, yes. But, you know, again, that's the captain's table. She doesn't want to be at that table eating the fucking food that is stolen from so many, right? All the fruit is crimson red, right? The blood of the people mm-hmm. in the nation. It's wonderful, man. Like, you get a lot of this cool stuff. I also forgot her name was Princess Moana. So, as a parent, I had, like, PTSD flashbacks. You, you did? Singing yeah. Oh, wel- dude. Singing your welcome. And I... When I, you know what hurts me the most is that my son Hunter is aged enough. He does not remember Moana. Like if I put on you're welcome, he's like, oh yeah. When I was, when he was born, I had movie pass. It was the Mm -hmm. only way to get him to calm down. I would go every fucking single day to like the nap time showing and we would sleep in Moana. Do you remember going to, I remember us going to Moana at the Burbank 16. We went and saw it. That's right. And go every day because they took movie. <laughs> you were pissed. You were pissed though. The one time we went because somebody brought, like, oh, like two moms brought like their brood. Yeah. And they just fucking would not stop the entire yeah. time. And, like Hunter can, yeah. but I also remember that Hunter would sing "You're Welcome" before yeah. we'd record. Like yeah. he would do like fifteen rounds. It was. Yeah. It is the cutest thing. Yeah, and it's it's cool. But, like, as a parent, like, I have flashbacks of the Moana-like wars. Yeah. And, like, my kid doesn't even remember them. I'm like, God, that is mean. That is mean. It'll be scarred in my mind forever, but you just get to walk away. Um, but, you know, I like all of those beats, right? And I think that the finale, I mean, it just pays off in one of the most devastating endings I've ever seen in a movie, right? Right. So she drugs the captain. She's going to go, you know, uh, save her brother, right? She goes to the maze. Mercedes sees the fucking little door she drew mm-hmm. that isn't open, right? It's just fucking awesome, right? So as they're attacking and, you know, it's all burning to hell, right? The captain right. is uh, drugged. He's chasing him out to the labyrinth. She gets there, right? And the fawn has the dagger. Give me your brother, right? I just need a drop of his blood. She doesn't buy into that, right? And it, uh, you know, he does the the portal will only open if we offer it the blood of an innocent. And she's right. just like, wherever I go, my brother will go. The, the fawn is like giving it to her, right? All right, you know, as you wish, your highness. And he backs away. As the captain comes lumbering up to her. And he takes the baby. And you're like, all right, all right, we're cool. Like, run away. 
he fucking lifts his gun and fucking blasts Ophelia. I, and there, every time I watch it, there's a moment where you go, no, no. Yeah, and when she lifts fail. her hand, it never doesn't bring me to weeping every without, time I've seen this. Without fucking fail. Every it's his stone fucking cold of a move. He has the kid. Just fucking He's walk won. away. He just wants to punish this girl. And it's the worst. It's a fucking horrifying moment. Um, And it's just, yeah, it, it never loses it, right? No. And I mean, the whole... What we find is that she is the blood of the innocent, right? So... In her dying eyes, right, she goes, and we get this Wizard of Oz shot, right? She's in the fucking palace with her red shoes, and her mm. parents are sitting on these eggs. I'm like, is there a ladder up there? Do you have cherubs that float your ass up there? Right? It's the doctor and her mom. I'm like, how does this work? Do you get – is this, like, wipeout where you jump off of a fucking big red ball and fly up there? Like, how do you get to that chair? <laughs> Whatever. You got a chair. You got an empty chair for you. It's fine. And – they applaud her, right? Like, your father's been waiting for you for a long time, right? That's kind of our clue. Oh, her father's dead. Um, And what we find is that was the final test, right? That the fawn comes out and he's like, you pass, right? Had you given us the blood of your brother, you would no longer be innocent, right? You'd be this this horrible person. And you're like, all right, if the last thing we see is that wonderful room, right? The audience is allowed to continue believing in the fable, and it's super fucking sweet, man. And then we do this wonderful color-soaked fucking royal chamber, right? To the hardest cut Ugh. with just these no colors of Ophelia smiling uh, and bleeding out as Mercedes weeps and hums the lullaby. And it's it's just fucking unbearable. And what I think is so cool is that he's able to put us through that because it's so very earned um yeah i mean it's it's fucking i mean i it's one of those things it's like that's why i think this movie didn't win the oscar and shape of water did shape of water allows that last story book moment right that they could have swam away together this one does not and it puts you in the no one wins this there is no happy ending to this fucking fairy tale. We do get to see a tree blossom. But who fucking cares about a blossom? Fuck that tree. It's I want Ophelia to blossom, man. It's it's just one of those things I don't where know, man. It is interesting to watch a filmmaker learn not from a mistake, but learn from a choice that cuz look, I mean it's it's a fucking beautiful earned moment in a story that is like filled with whimsy yeah. and and again real brutality. You just said a beautiful moment when it's about as horrendous a thing as you've ever seen on screen. I know, and it that's shouldn't, the trick, man. It shouldn't be this like lovely moment, but I think that's what that is why we're doing this month. Like Guillermo del Toro finds true beauty in the macabre, and he's never shied away from that. Like we all know that that's the case, but. This particularly is just so it's not even the violence. And like to me, that's never the thing that gets me. Like obviously shooting children is horrifying. Like that always will disturb it's, me. It's hard because I 
it like a part of me has never forgiven him but for you that know scene. What? But because this is the thing though, and because I think the Shape of Water is a really interesting analog to this, because the Shape of Water does shot do that thing. healed commits kiss underwater com- yeah it commits to this it commits to this it commits to the the oddity of the world and i think that's what while pan's labyrinth is yeah pan's labyrinth is beautiful what it pan's labyrinth commits to is the reality and i think that's what makes guillermo del toro's movies like shape of water particularly so and like i mean even like pacific rim so they're so they commit so deeply to fantasy into like the happy ending essentially with an earned death and that kind of stuff. This one is so we're happy that Ophelia has gone to see her father. We are sad because Ophelia had to die to do it. And that is, yeah, that is truly, that is truly the, the gut wrenching thing about Guillermo del Toro making movies is that he just takes you in yeah. and shows you amazing things. And then, but he knows he has to. But he knows in this movie particularly, he has to pull the rug out from under us. It's important. Because otherwise, we'll get through a movie and have not learned it. Yeah, where I settled on it is, I think in that final moment when she smiles, man, it kind of, the first time I saw it, it felt like he was just wiggling the knife in my belly. And I was oh. like, you rat bastard. And it's really hard, and you get fucking mad and frustrated. Like, why do I have to see her get hurt like that? When she smiles, though, I think that's a moment for us as the audience to remind ourselves of the power of these stories, right? Exactly. Is that she wasn't too old to fill her head with nonsense because maybe her loving Mercedes led to giving Mercedes that little extra bit of power she needed, which led to the doctor having a little bit more fortitude, right? Um, You know, her being able to survive that horrifying scene where we hear a baby crying and them telling her that her mom's gone, right? Um, You know, when she begs her brother, like, when you come out, don't hurt her. But because of her love of these stories and tales, she's able to put that aside and still love this brother and not give him up to the magic that she cherishes, right? That in that moment, we see that her strength and belief in a better world brought this to where we are, right? And it's not a great, happy ending, but we have at least a small hope that the world will heal, right? Thus that fucking, fucking flower that no one wants. Um, But it's just fucking, it's, it's very rare that a guy can do that to you and you not have like a visceral anger yeah. reaction at him i mean it's you go I, I needed that one man and it yeah it's fine it's i mean look i love I, I love all his movies it's his best one by far man this one is something so extra magical right like to me this and shape of water are a two-hander where it's fantasy in the harshest most terrible reaction or version of the world and then fantasy and romance in a bad world but not as fucking horrible i think maybe the gilman and uh the deaf janitor lady would disagree with me um but you know this one is just so much more fucking brutal 
that I think his heart shines through in a strange way. One more final thing before we get out of here. We're not experts, guys, but we'll do what everyone who talks about this movie probably does and just gush over Mitch McConnell and the fawn makeup. I mean, it's fucking breathtaking. Yeah, I mean, when the fawn first unfurls himself, it's amazing. I, I mean, it is breathtaking this, still to this, this day every time of, I see it. This is the part of Guillermo del Toro movies that like you don't need to talk about on podcasts because we already fucking yeah. know. Everyone who's seen this movie was like, holy shit. When his hands go on his eyes, that's fucking rad. I wish he would stop blocking votes, but man, that looks good. Come on. That deadlock's killing me, but man, (laughs) it does look good. Actually, there's one thing I forgot about. It's the no chin. That's why it's a McConnell. He has no chin, that fucking guy. Well, that that, that mouth is just... That little tiny mouth and no chin that... Whatever. The one thing I did, I forgot about on this viewing that I had is when the pale man is walking towards her, the sound of his legs. And he also like puts the hand out. Well, also he's got those fucking like just straight bone legs. Yeah. So those had to be done in post. Yeah. Oh man. Just like, or did they? I don't know. I do have no one one has legs that skinny. Maybe Doug Jones made his legs that skinny. (laughs) (laughs) I'm method now. He would be. Um, yeah. I did have one thing I was reading. Um, uh, Sergey Lopez, the guy who actually plays Captain Vidal, when Guillermo del Toro cast him, apparently, so he's a Spanish actor, and the Madrid-based producers told Guillermo del Toro, like, you are not going to get the performance you need out of him. It's a bad casting. And he's like, why would you say that? And he's like, because he is known for being a melodramatic or comedic actor only. He does not do a movie like this. No shit. And Guillermo del Toro, <laughs> Guillermo del Toro told the producers, it's not that I don't know, it's that I don't care. And that was it. <laughs> and just, I mean, a bad guy for the ages. That is that hey. is Guillermo del Toro right there. It's not that I don't know, it's that I don't care. That's knowing that your a, craft right there, That's a baby. fucking director right there. I, I mean, hey, man, we've been on this a long time. We talked about how cool the effects were. I mean, this this movie is just a movie that is fascinating yeah. and endlessly Go watch it. inspiring on just every fucking plane of filmmaking. I hope you guys enjoyed this film as much as I did. Guillermo, I'll, I'll shoot this one to you personally. I'm sure you're listening and and fascinated with what we're doing yes. man if you want that drink and you want to write me some pages sir i'm ready hit me up all right guys. uh we're almost done with the pod digs del toro month but not quite guys we still have the fan selected vote uh for next week episode so get those votes in let us know what you want to hear us talk about for our final del toro guys again Patreon uh, is filmalchemistpod at patreon.com. Make sure you go over there for as little as a dollar a month, guys. You can get in, help support the show. Uh, Again, that's patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. Guys, make sure you uh, email us, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. We're easy to get a hold of. We'd love to hear from you guys. We will see you next week as uh, the pod finishes digging del toro bye bye